Well, good morning, church. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Ryan. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here this morning. And this morning, I get the um, honor to continue our series called Spiritual Stations. This is a unique series for us. Um, it's interesting for me to say that it's a unique series for us because we've only been a church for six months. So I guess it's kind of a normal series for us. <laughs> But it's, it's different, out, a little bit out of the box. It feels a little bit less like um, kind of exegetical teaching through the scriptures. And to me, it feels more like kind of a, a workshop, um, almost like a, like a love language workshop. You guys familiar with love languages? Who in here is familiar with love languages? A, a good, okay, a good majority of us. It's pretty much um, Christian mainstream, I guess. Um, have you noticed with love languages that usually your spouse... Uh, gives love the opposite way that you receive love, and you naturally give love the opposite way that anybody else have that problem in here? So that seems to be natural. I think the Lord is, I think I just started some fights in the middle of church. This is going to be fun this morning. Um, I think it, the same is, is similar with the spiritual stations workshop. The, the church that we've gathered together under this roof is filled with unique people who connect with God differently. Um, and it's been really cool to see how we've all learned to understand and appreciate one another. I've had lots of really great conversations with many of you. You're discovering more about who you are, the ways in which you connect with God. And I hope that that encourages you, that that reminds you that, that, that that's how God made you. That's a good thing. Um, that you're learning to appreciate your brothers and sisters in Christ who do things a little bit differently than you. Um, and some of you, the most bravest in the room or actually stepping outside of your comfort zone and trying some things that are different for you. And this whole thing comes with a, uh, a survey. So if you're new and you haven't been with us for some of the other messages, love to have you take that. It's available online so you can find out kind of what your spiritual station is, how you connect with God, and learn that um, for yourself a little bit more. Uh, last week, Corey shared on the servant, and we had a full week full of service opportunities. Some of you guys participated in that. That was great. Uh, Mike and Andy, our missions coordinators, put that together. And Mike asked me to share this thank you card with all of you from the kids' club next door. How beautiful is this? We made uh, hundred. We made uh, an Easter basket for all of the kids at the kids' club. Some of you went over there and read to the kids at the kids' club. They're our neighbors. Um, and we want them to know Jesus. We want them to know the hope and healing that we have in Him. Uh, I, I walked out. Uh, they've been running laps around their building in the afternoon. Um, I think they're training for like a 5K, which is cool. And I walked out, and the one girl was like, what's it smell like in there? I was like, uh, it smells normal. And she's like, I've never been in a church before. And I was like, you know, that smells normal. We don't have any weird. I mean, there was one week we had incense, but... Other than that, it's normal in here. You're fine. You're comfortable. And so 
I just, I, I'm so excited about that long-term partnership. And Mike wanted me to remind you that this is something that we want to cultivate long-term. So if you want to read to kids or mentor kids, there are a number of opportunities for us to become um, good spiritual neighbors to them. And so I wanted to share that with you and put that opportunity in front of you. Reach out to me or Mike or Andy if you're interested in that moving forward. But um, for the past couple of weeks in this series, we've covered the four original spiritual stations that came with the, uh, the author that put these things together. And these four are really clearly biblical, right? We've got, you can put the thing up there. We've got head, heart, servant, and mystic. And this comes from this teaching of Jesus when he says that the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Mystic would be soul. Head would be mind and servant would be strength. These four are clear biblical categories. And now we transition to the two that have been added later. Um, and they're slightly different. I wouldn't say that they're not biblical, but I would say that they're more sociological. These are patterns of human behavior that we've been able to observe from literally the early church in Acts on through now. And you'll see that they, they're on the same kind of axis, right? Crusaders and pilgrims are, are both very similar and very different. And these are the two stations that we're going to cover. And yes, it's weird language. If you're new to church or if you're, I, like I grew up in church and these, these words are weird. It's just weird, right? Hopefully they won't be weird at the end of the, these two weeks. So the pilgrim and the crusader, like I said, they have lots of similarities and lots of differences. I would say that the similarities are that both groups tend to be very action oriented. They connect with God through doing what he said and doing what he is saying. I would say this, that the crusader feels this way, that God has spoken, and I connect with him by doing something about it. He's already spoken. He's told us what his will is for his people, and I've got to do something about it. And you'll see the crusaders on the, the upper section of the quadrant, where it's really thinking. It's really speculative, right? Like in the head. And so the crusader says, God has spoken, and I have to do something about it. And the pilgrim is on the bottom, the more affective, spiritual, emotional side of things. And the pilgrim says, God is speaking, and we have to do something about it. The best way that I could think to illustrate this is when I was in high school, don't laugh at me, I was in the jazz band. I said, don't laugh at me. Come on. I knew that was coming. I was in the jazz band, right? And most of the songs we played in the jazz band had been written and arranged years and years and years ago. They were on paper. The people that played that song, they played the song the same way. Every time a new jazz band got that arrangement of music, they sat down and they played the song the same way. It was written. They played it with passion and excitement, but they played it as it was written. But every now and then in jazz music, there will be breaks for improvisation, right? And a solo, would, a soloist would step up and he, would, he or she would have the opportunity to, to, to break out into a solo. And, and in the solo, they would kind of mirror the melody of the, the, the rest of the song, but they would go out on their own and create something new and fresh and exciting. And so I would say this, that the crusader is, is the musician that sticks to the music. God has spoken through his word, and he must do something about it. But the pilgrim, the pilgrim is more like the improv artist who says, God is up to something new now in our midst, and we should do something about it. But you'll notice that when you hear uh, an improv soloist, 
they do tie in the old piece of the melody. They're not creating something totally different that has nothing to do with the song that's been played. Does that make sense? They're doing both old and new things to create something beautiful. If I had to summarize the pilgrim with one phrase, I would say this. The pilgrim is willing to do whatever works. They're creative. They're pragmatic. They aren't afraid to use every tool at their disposal. They will use methods that have worked for thousands of years, and they will create new methods that seem to be working now in the moment. And as you might imagine, pilgrims often get to sit in a controversial seat because everyone loves change and new things, right? Everyone loves change and new things. If you don't believe me, just bring up NFTs to a room full of boomers. Just try and explain what NFTs see. Some of you are like, what's an NFT? I can't tell you. You will lose your mind. Your brain will explode. You will hate society forever, okay? New things, they tend to bring about emotions. Like we get angry. We get frustrated. We're like, no, you can't do that. We, and then you say, why? And what's usually the answer? We've never done it before. We have to do it the way it's always been done. And the pilgrim is willing to create new things and fresh expressions. But this often puts them in a, in a place of conflict. The pilgrim often jumps from church to church to church because the church doesn't like to let them try new things. I think this natural tendency to, to not like the newness has caused the American church to intentionally or unintentionally silence the voice of the pilgrim. We have historically lacked creativity when it comes to our methods because we like to keep things the way that they were. We like to be comfortable. We like to sit in the same seat every week. We like to listen to the same songs every few weeks. We like to do things the way that they've always been done. But let me tell you this, church, God has given us the voice of pilgrims for a reason. We should learn to listen to them and give their voice more weight in our lives and give them more leadership positions in our church because the mission of God is far too important to not adapt our methods. The mission of God is far too important for us to keep our methods the same. Before I hop up on my soapbox and complain about the American church for the rest of the morning, which I won't do, uh, I'd love for you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. We're going to spend some time in Acts chapter 15 because the, the, the silencing of the pilgrim voice, the conflict between the pilgrim and the rest of the church isn't a new thing. It's existed since the very beginning of the church. So in a, in a minute, we're going to get into Acts 15 and look at some conflict between some early church pilgrims and the rest of the church that didn't want things to change. But before we get there, I want to clearly define some terms. So when I say the pilgrim does whatever works, what is it that they're doing? Like, what, what is the goal? What are we trying to accomplish? And for that, I'd go to the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus has been crucified, buried, risen again. He's, he's showing himself to all of his disciples in different opportunities, and, and he's about to be ascended into heaven. And he gives them this one last charge in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Essentially, this is my summary of it. He says, wait on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you my spirit. When the spirit comes, you're going to be my witnesses making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to follow my commands in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
This is what the pilgrim is all about. This is what all Christians should be all about. Making disciples of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The goal of every good pilgrim is they want to see all people all over the world come to know and follow Jesus. Most of us can get on board with that mission, right? It's the methods that tend to cause conflict. Because the pilgrim's methods quickly shift. See, what the, church pilgrim, the pilgrims in the church realize is that what works to reach a Jew in Jerusalem might not work to reach a eunuch in Ethiopia. And it might not work to reach a wealthy fashion designer outside the town of Philippi. And it might not work to reach Stoic philosophers in Athens. And so we see the early church pilgrims begin to adapt their methods so that their mission would continue to be effective no matter the context. That's what we, what we heard Pastor Mike read up here this morning. He said, I do everything I can to connect with people, to build a bridge with people so that I can share the message of Jesus with them. I will experiment with any method under the sun because the message that God has given us through Jesus is so important that, that we should do everything we can to reach people who are far from God. So the early church pilgrims, they start experimenting. They start doing all kinds of different things. Um, and this is one of the keys to the healthy expression of the pilgrim is that their methods are regularly changing, but their message never changes. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The, 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 the message is the power. And so the methods can adapt, they can change, we can get creative about how we connect with people so that we can share with them the message that has the power. We tracking with it? Okay. And so, as you can imagine, it didn't take long for these early church pilgrims to start innovating and for the Jews in Jerusalem to say, not on my watch. We can't change our methods. We have to do things the way that we've always done things. My parents were doing it, and their parents were doing it, and their parents were doing it, and so we have to do it this way. And that's where we pick up this story in Acts chapter 15. See, Paul and Barnabas, they were doing some creative things to reach some Gentiles. They just finished their first missionary journey, and God was doing some incredible things. And the rest of the church was unsure about whether they approved of the things that were happening. So, Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says, While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men of Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. You see the tension there? Paul and Barnabas are doing some creative new things. Um, there, there's actually, here's the thing about message and method. As you see this happen here, sometimes we assign our method with the message. We, we dilute those two things. And so the Jews are like, no, the, the Gentiles, they have to be circumcised in order to get saved. And Paul's like, no, that's, that's not how this whole thing works. And so they're going to have a dialogue, a public discussion in the church, and then in verse 4, it says, When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. So the leadership of the church is coming to hear this disagreement. Um, and they reported everything that God had done through them. But then some of the believers who, who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted that the Gentile 
converts must be circumcised and they must be required to follow the law of Moses. You see the conflict? See the tension? This is the age-old conflict that arises for the pilgrims in every generation. We can't change the way that we've always done things. We see the same conflict today. Many people tend to reject creativity and innovation. We get stuck in our methodology. And we think the way that God reached us is the same way that he has to reach people in the future. We naturally blur the lines between the methods that were used to reach us and the message that has the power. Best way I can illustrate this is those of you that grew up in the church, have you ever seen pictures of missionaries in third world countries where behind them is a big brick building with a white steeple? You got a white man in a suit and tie in the middle of a third world village? We're blurring the message and the message. And the pilgrim says, no, what, what it takes to reach an African child is not what it takes to reach an American child. We've got to be creative with our methods in order to get the message to the people that God wants to save. May we not blur these lines. The methods that work to reach boomers in a rural area won't necessarily work to reach Gen X and millennials in planned suburban neighborhoods or Gen Zers in urban cities. Church, we have to stop suppressing the voice of the pilgrim. We have to let them help us figure out the best, most creative ways that work to reach people who are far from God. Pilgrims do whatever works. Whatever works to reach people who are far from God, and we should celebrate that. One of my favorite pastors, Craig Rochelle, you guys have the, if you have the Version Bible app on your phone, you have Craig Rochelle to thank. Um, and his church is all about this, creative new methods to reach people who are far from God. One of their core values is this. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who are far from God. Pilgrims in the room are getting jazzed about that statement. If you, if you, if you, if you tested that as a pilgrim, you're pumped. If you, if you didn't, you might be a little bit concerned. Anything short of sin? That sounds like it could blur some lines. That sounds like we could get pretty close to outside of orthodoxy. And he says, no, the message is so important that we will do anything. And that's what Paul said in the passage that Mike read. I, I did everything it took to, to connect with the people that God was calling me to connect with so that I could give them the message that Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life. And he died in their place for their sins. And they can have salvation if they, if they trusted in him, if they placed their faith in him. We'll do anything short of sin to reach people far from God. The first week that the Oculus came out, I got, my newsfeed was covered with Craig Rochelle's church because he had launched the first meta church in the metaverse. There was Life Church Meta. I'm a pilgrim. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know about that. You can't have church in the metaverse. People, the church literally means called out ones. It means a gathered, a, a group of people. People can't gather in the metaverse. Except, yeah, they can. And they do. And they will, whether or not the church is there or not. And so Craig says, if the people are going to be there, I'm going to go there. This is the voice of the pilgrim in the church. We're going to do whatever it takes, anything short of sin, to reach people who are far 
from God. Why are you guys not as excited about this as I am? Because some of you are pilgrims, and I get it. There's a tension here, right? There's angst. So, pilgrims will do whatever it takes to reach people who are far from God. How does this work pragmatically? How does this, how do we see this lived out? Well, I think it's, there's, there's three things we see in the text here. Let's read in verse 6. It says, To the apostles and the elders, they met together to resolve the issue. There's a tension here between the pilgrims and the non-pilgrims. At the meeting, after a long discussion, church, you ever been to a church board meeting, a church membership meeting? We're good at these. Long discussions. Peter stood up and addressed them. He said, Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them what? The Holy Spirit. Just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? Hear the pilgrim language in there? It's like, Old Testament law didn't even work for us. We grew up with it. We were taught it from a very young age. We've, we've, we've obeyed all of these commandments our entire life, and yet Jesus came to show us that we couldn't follow the Old Testament covenant. He had to follow it on our behalf. It doesn't work. And so why are we going to make the Gentiles do the thing that didn't even work for us? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of Jesus so the first thing that the pilgrim does is they look for a move of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, look, Gentiles don't have to do the things that you're telling them they don't have to do. And how do I know it? Because God sent the Holy Spirit to them. So if God's sending the Holy Spirit to them, that's his stamp of approval on what is happening. So the pilgrim looks for the Holy Spirit in each culture, in each expression of the church. Um, the, the best way that I can illustrate this is Rick Warren, pastor of, former pastor of Saddleback Church. He uses this illustration of surfing. He's from California, and so I guess he gets this. I'm not a surfer, but essentially what he says is you, if you're a good surfer, you can have all of the right equipment, all of the right technique, all of the right ideas about what it looks like to ride a good wave, but apart from a wave, you're not a surfer. So if you're a surfer, you have to go where the waves are. And this is what pilgrims do. They look for where God is moving, and they go and partner with God in what he's already doing. We've got to be a people that look for a move of the Holy Spirit in our generation, and we've got to be willing to modify our methods in order to get the message to the people that God wants us to reach. So the first thing they do is they look for the Holy Spirit. The second is they listen to the testimony of their brothers and sisters. Peter says, the Spirit came, and so we can't argue with what God is doing. And then in verse 12, it said, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. So first, Peter says, the Spirit came, and then Paul and Barnabas say, let us tell you story after story after story of the way that God is at work in the Gentiles through his Holy Spirit. Good pilgrims, they love the stories of success in the church. They love to hear about what God is doing. You know what flipped me on the meta-church thing? When I heard about 
literally disabled people who can't go out into regular society. The metaverse has brought them society that they can't access on their own because of their physical limitations. And Craig Rochelle shared story after story of people who were meeting Jesus in their living rooms in the metaverse because it was the only expression of of civilization and society that they could have. I heard story of people being changed. And then I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't as bad as I thought it might be, right? So pilgrims, they listen, they look for the Holy Spirit, they listen to the testimony of believers, and then this is really important because my head people are getting a little anxious right now. I get it. Not only do they look for the Holy Spirit, not only do they listen to stories of brothers and sisters, but they're accountable to God's word. We don't create things that are that are outside of the scope of Scripture. Like Craig said, anything short of sin, we don't pass that. We don't disobey God's word in order to reach people. James stands up. So Peter stands up, says the Spirit's moving. And then Paul and Barnabas stand up and say, here's the stories of people's lives, actual people, real people's lives being changed. And then James stands up and says, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of the Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. James said, guys, it's it's been here all along. This has always been God's plan to save the Gentiles through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ. He quotes Isaiah 45. He says, afterwards, I will return and restore the fallen house of David, and I will rebuild its ruins and restore it. Why? What's the purpose? So that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken, he who made these things known so long ago. So good pilgrim, do whatever works by listening to the Holy Spirit, looking at the testimony of brothers and sisters, and being accountable to the Scriptures. Anything short of sin to reach people far from God. Good pilgrims are created with, creative with their methods while honoring God's eternal message. They look for a move of the Holy Spirit. They listen to the stories of others, and they're accountable to God's Word. They're action-oriented, but they're only interested in doing what seems to be working. So we see this conflict being resolved in the early church. We'll get to the final resolution here in a minute, but I spent a lot of time praising pilgrims, celebrating their voices in our church, but let's talk about a few shadow sides, a few things that happen if, we're, if we become unhealthy and, and only focus on results. I'd say this, the first shadow side to pilgrims is that we innovate at first, and then we become stuck in our ways. We're, we're willing to be creative at first, sometimes when we're young and not jaded, and we're like, all right, yeah, let's try the new thing, let's do the new thing, let's do it all, let's try it all, and then it starts to work, and we get excited, and culture moves on, but we stay planted. You ever, see, you ever feel like the church is like 30 years behind media and innovation? I think, I think it's probably because we've suppressed the voice of the pilgrim in the church. But I will say that I feel like things like the Chosen and Jesus Revolution, we're starting to kind of catch up, which is cool. But we innovate at first, and then we become stuck. best way I can illustrate this is... Have you guys ever seen Churches of Bus Ministry? Bus Ministry was an incredible innovation. It was creative, right? The the, the churches were like, we're going to buy these old buses, and we're going to 
go into communities of people that aren't going to church, and we're just going to offer to pick up their kids. And literally, I, I was a part of it. I have two friends to this day that love Jesus and serve the church that were saved because of the bus ministry. Because their parents literally were like, you guys are driving us nuts. Just get in this bus with these strangers. We don't care. Hopefully they bring you back. If they don't, it'll be fine. (laughs) And so it was an incredible, innovative ministry that God used to save people all over the country. There's still some churches that are doing that today. How many of you parents would just send your kids onto a bus with strangers in suit and ties who are going to teach them about lambs being sacrificed. <laughs> Jason's like, take them, take the kids, take the kids, right? So I think that's an example. That's a, that's a low-hanging fruit example. Of, yeah, we're innovative at first, but then we get stuck in the thing that's worked in the past. Second, we get so focused on the methods and results that we lose sight of the message. We get so intoxicated by seeing people's lives change that we forget the message that actually changed their lives to begin with. We get proud. Like, ah, God's using me. I'm changing people's lives. And then we start to blur the lines and water down the message. I saw recently a, a, a church leader that I had followed in the past. He's incredibly innovative. Um, he did strip club church, porn church. He did all of this stuff to reach people who were in bondage with sexual addiction. And I stumbled across his Instagram, and now he's, he's doing a, a ministry that literally does not have anything to do with the gospel at all. It's possible to get so wrapped up in, in God changing lives and get so far away from the message that's changing the lives that we just focus on life transformation and we dilute the message of Jesus. And remember what Paul said, the gospel is the power. We want lives to be truly changed. It has to be tied back to the cross and the empty tomb. Because anything else is a shadow, it's fake, and it won't last. Third shadow side, we get hyper-focused on numerical growth while ignoring other forms of spiritual growth. This is where church hopping comes in. Because we get a, we get into a church where God's doing stuff and people are getting saved, and then all of a sudden we don't see as many people getting saved, and we're like, I'm going to go to that other church. Because they're doing something really cool, and, and God's moving in that church. But sometimes, God's spiritual growth isn't always numerical growth. And so let's be eyes wide open to see God at work in our midst. Let's, let's plant somewhere long term. If you're in here and you're a pilgrim, I know your propensity was to find the next cool, innovative, awesome thing. But stay here and help us be cool and innovative and awesome. Sound good? Last thing I would say, and this is the hardest one. This is the one that's, I think, rooted in the most sin issue is arrogance. Pilgrims end up having no concern for how their actions impact the overall unity of the church. I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach people who are far from God. And if you get in my way, God help you. (laughs) Right? And so not only would I say that healthy pilgrims do what works, but I would would finish the statement this way. Healthy pilgrims, they do what works with humility for the sake of unity. We see this in the text In Acts chapter 15, as we start to wrap up, so James is still talking. He quotes scripture. He says this was always God's plan. God was always going to save the Gentiles through uh, the Jewish Messiah. And he says, so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. If you're new to church, warning. The next couple verses are weird. 
Instead, we should write to them and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, and from eating meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For the laws of Moses have been preached in the Jewish synagogue in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. So there's a lot going on here in this passage that we don't have time to unpack. But I will say this. I think the overarching summary for our time this morning is that the pilgrims were willing to compromise with the Jews from Jerusalem. The Jews from Jerusalem are ultimately saying, look, we get it. God seems to be at work. The Holy Spirit's moving. We've got testimonies of people being saved. We're glad God is saving Gentiles apart from the Old Testament law. But can you do us a favor and not be too weird? You guys are like drinking blood, and you're buying your meat at discounted prices that were offered to these pagan gods. Like, can you guys just do us a favor and not, like, not be so weird? That seems fair, right? <laughs> so the pilgrims are like, hmm, yeah, we can try and not be too weird. We can be innovative and creative without trying to be too weird. See, in other passages, Paul, who's in the room here, makes it pretty clear that it's fine to eat meat sacrificed to idols. He's like, don't worry about it. But if it bothers somebody else, don't do it. Because unity matters more than creativity. Humility matters more than creativity. There's another passage where Paul has a key leader with him, Timothy, whose dad is Greek. This is, this is crazy. And Timothy, as an adult, gets circumcised. Why? Because he knows it's going to allow him to have a better relationship with the Jews that he's working with in the church. Talk about humility. Adult men in the room. Humility, right? Humility for the sake of unity because every good pilgrim knows how important unity is when it comes to spiritual results. If the pilgrim is all about spiritual results, you should know that spiritual results will not come long-term without the unity of the church. Jesus prayed this in John chapter 17. He says, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And so may we not get so creative and innovative that we forget about unity. Let's be humble as we innovate. If you're in here and you're not a pilgrim, I encourage you to loosen up a little bit. <laughs> Look for a move of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the testimony of brothers and sisters. Because if you resist innovation and you fear change, you might hold pilgrims back from reaching people that God's calling them to reach. And pilgrims, be creative and innovative. Do anything short of sin to reach people far from God. But if you drive a wedge between your brothers and sisters in Jesus, you will never see the long-term results that you're longing for. Do what works with humility for the sake of unity. That's the, the mantra of healthy pilgrims. And if you're not a pilgrim in the room, let's, let's, let's loosen up a little bit, encourage the voices of the pilgrim, and see what God might do. And lastly, if you're in here and you're not a Christian and this whole thing is really weird to you, I get it. I would say this, that we are here today because Jesus is the perfect pilgrim. He's having this conversation with the Pharisees and they're, they're asking him, they're like, okay, if you're the Messiah, then prove it by doing a miracle. Jesus says, okay, I'll prove it. Here's what I'm going to do. See that temple? You guys 
through all of your worship and all of your sacrifice, I'm going to destroy it. And in three days, I'll rebuild it. How do you think the Jews in Jerusalem felt about that statement? This temple, this thing, this it was their connection to God. And Jesus says, I'm going to honor the old thing while doing a new thing. Jesus came to fulfill the old covenant. covenant. See, the, the sacrificial system existed because sin has consequences. And God is a holy God. But, but Jesus came to live a perfect, sinless life in your place for your sins so that you might be reconnected to the Father through Jesus who fulfilled the old covenant and created a new covenant by dying on the cross for your sins and raising from the dead three days later. He destroyed the temple and rose it up again. The curtain was ripped from top to bottom so that we could have direct access to the Father through Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill the old thing in order to introduce a new thing. Jesus is the ultimate pilgrim. He's the ultimate jazz improv artist, honoring and including the old covenant while creating something brand new. Jesus is ultimately saying, after my death and resurrection, there will be no more need for sacrifices in the temple. I am the ultimate sacrifice for sin once and for all. Jesus perfectly did what works with humility for the sake of unity. How will we respond to this truth? So, because we're pilgrims this morning and we're honoring the voice of the pilgrim, we're going to try something new. Is this going to be okay? You think? We're not going to sin, I promise. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to walk off stage, and we're going to throw up on the screen uh, a sermon response question with some background music. I just want you to spend a couple minutes thinking about the message, thinking about Acts 15, thinking about the, the tension between the pilgrim wanting to create and innovate and the rest of us wanting to do nothing like that at all. Um, and just think about your spot in that and what God might be saying to you. And on the back of your bulletin, there's like a, a note sheet. Feel free to respond to the question that, that, that is directed to you on that note sheet. And then I will come back up and conclude with communion. So let me pray. I'll give you some time to think about, reflect on the message, and then we'll end with communion. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, who did what it took to bridge the gap between our sin and God's righteousness, that we might have direct access to the Father through Jesus. Thank you for his humility. He was willing to go to the cross, not because he did anything to deserve it, but because he wanted to humbly serve us. God, may we follow his example. May we honor the voice of the pilgrim in our churches. May we be creative and innovative in order to reach the people that Jesus died to save. May we do so with unity together because we follow a humble servant. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.